If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then also, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked, when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there, sorry, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. scripture reading. Good morning church. Name is Rob, one of the pastors here and delighted if you're just visiting us for the first time and we're going to be looking at that text that she just read for us which is a great reading. You know um, one of the things that you'll find interesting if you hang around church and Christians long enough is you sort, of, you sort of have two extremes of people. Uh, you've got one extreme that makes a whole lot out of doctrine and what the Bible says and et cetera, et cetera. And then you've got the other extreme of that, which says, well, it's not about doctrine. It's about the way you live. It's about the way you love. But it's interesting because when you look at Paul's letters, like the Apostle Paul, the author of this book in Colossians, he, he lays out first who Christ is. He lays out the doctrine clearly and then moves to practice. But he actually doesn't divorce the two. In other words, your starting point cannot be just trying to love Jesus and live for him. Because the way you know who Jesus is, is from doctrine. In other words, if we have the right creed, we should have the right conduct. So, in other words, the creed that we profess should be the conduct that we display. Doctrine in and of itself, though, is useless if it's not changing the way that you live. We are all called to be Bible students, theologians. We are. Some of us may not teach in a seminary or a Bible college, as most of us aren't going to. But we all have a view of God. We all have a, uh, an idea of who he is. It was Francis Schaeffer who once said, 
ideas have consequences. And we see that today, don't we? We see, I mean, good night, turn on the news. Ideas have consequences. They lead to all kinds of consequences. And so we cannot have right Christian behavior without right Christian thinking. Does that make sense? You don't, it's not just up for grabs. And you can't have, the point of good doctrine is that it works itself deep down in your heart and into the fabric and into the way that you live your life. Theology is not an end of itself. There's a difference, isn't there, between knowing things about God and knowing him. You can know, I remember once when I was in Bible college, speaking of Bible college, and one of my professors, a guy named Tom Schreiner, who has a very squeaky, nasally voice, but I, and I'll explain why I just said that. I was reading in Mark where there is a man who's possessed by a demon. And in the first few chapters of Mark, this demon interrupts Jesus. And he says, Jesus, I know who you are. And then here's the article. The Holy One of God. The demon's got really good doctrine. He doesn't say, oh, I, I don't know if I... He doesn't, he doesn't sound like many uh, people, unfortunately, here on the Central Coast today who doesn't say, well, maybe Jesus is God, maybe he's not. No, the demon, there's no question. He has the article in front of it in Greek, the Holy One of God. And when I said that to my professor who has the nasally voice, he goes, that's better theology than some of the liberal churches. That's great Christology. He, he knows that the Lord Jesus is that same Lord from Isaiah 6. Holy, holy, holy. That is. But guess what? How's the demon's practice, man? Not going to heaven. Far from it. So you see, doctrine in and of itself is useless unless it's matched with practice. And now Paul, in our letter, after he's laid out doctrine, says, in light of this, have the right practice. So you could say that this, you have the indicative, who Christ is and what it means to be in Christ. Now, the imperative, live this way. In other words, we have a new identity in Christ and therefore we should have a new outlook, a new way of seeing the world. And so that is going to be where we park the car or as you guys say, pack the car for the next 30 minutes. New identity 
and a new outlook. So what does it mean? What does it mean to be in Christ? It means, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means that you have a new identity. And it also means that you have a new outlook. So that's where we're headed. A new identity and a new outlook. Now let's, before we unpack this text together, let's go to the Lord and ask his blessing upon it. Father, we come to you now as needy sinners who are so easily distracted, who are so easily deceived, who are self-deceived. We pray, Lord, that you would work a miracle now and that you would convict and draw us to yourself. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, identity, the idea of identity, the concept of identity is a real hot topic right now. I mean, if you think I'm just making this up, go on the news. It's everywhere, left, right, and center. Racial identity, right? We see that with Black Lives Matters. Sexual identity, we see that with the LBGTQ community. Right? Identity is such a hot issue right now. Who are you? Well, I'm this, right? It's interesting, many people probably don't realize the Bible talks heaps about this idea of identity. Identity. In fact, Paul, when he writes to the church in Colossae, they are a group of people in a particular city. But more importantly, or more fundamentally, they are in Christ. You see that phrase again and again and again. He just mentions quickly where they're located. They're in Colossae. But more fundamentally, they are in Christ. If you lived back then and you happened to bump into the Apostle Paul, let's say that you're at the shops, and you said, hey, Paul, what, what does it mean? Can you just give me a very clear description, a, a clear picture of what it means to be a Christian? I mean, do you think you'd be interested to hear what he had to say? Paul the Apostle, what, just boil it down for me, man. I'm a simple guy, just brass tacks. What does it mean to be a Christian? And I think he would say a Christian is somebody who is in Christ. That is the most important reality about their life. If you are a Christian, your identity is in Jesus. You're a man or a woman in Christ. Sadly, many of us who know this truth often forget it, don't we? We misplace our identity. 
We misplace our identity. We forget our identity. And we try to live the Christian life out of our own strength instead of living the Christian life in him, in Christ. And so in our text this morning, we are reminded of the Christian's true identity. The true identity of the Christian. Look at how he addresses this right at the beginning of chapter 3. Notice what he says here in Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ. Now the if here is not conditional by the way. Paul assumes it to be true. If you have been raised with Christ, and you have, and this is the case, then seek the things that are above. If you are in this room right now, and you are, do this, unless you're live streaming. You get the point though, right? This is, this is assumed. What he is saying here is this, is this is an action that has already happened. It's already completed. Think about it though. Okay, raised with Christ. Who or what category of people need to be raised who needs to be raised to life? Someone that's dead, right? <laughs> and that's precisely where Paul's driving at in verse 3. Notice what he says in verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He's already highlighted this truth in chapter 2, verse 20. Okay, hold on a second here, though. Is he saying that when Christ died and was raised from the dead 2,000 years ago, we too were raised from the dead? Like, how does that work? No one in this room, don't want to embarrass you, Marge, you're the closest one to it, but no one in this room here is 100 years old. Which God's kindness to you, Marge. No one in this room is 100 years old, unless I'm not aware of that, let alone 2,000 years old, right? So how does this work then? How, is he, how does that work itself out? Well, just go quickly back to chapter 2. Look what he's already said in chapter 2. He says in chapter 2, verse 12, if you're there with me, he says, In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. You see it there? Now verse 12, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. When Christ was raised, he was raised in a glorified body and he was the beginning, the first fruits, it says in other texts, of the new creation. 
or in 118, it says that he is the firstborn from the dead. So what does all this have to do with our identity then? Paul is saying that the very moment you placed your faith in Christ, you died. The old you is gone. Now, what does he say there? Does he just leave you there? Does he just said you're dead? No. Notice chapter 3, verse 3. For you died, and now your life is hidden. Sort of a paradox, right? If you died, how can you be alive? Who's the source of our life? Right? Where's the source? And he says that the source of our life is actually hidden. You see that? It's tucked away, so to speak. You can't see it. You know, we used to think that the things in this world that were, you know, sort of things that were tangible, things that we could see, things that were before our eyes could give us the life we so desired, but now our life is hidden away. But where is it? Where is our spiritual true life? It is with Christ. Paul saying, when you place your faith in Christ, you are dead to the old you, but spiritually alive. You know, in some religions, when a son and the family becomes a Christian, that family will hold a funeral service for the boy. They might even put an obituary in the local newspaper. As far as they are concerned, he is dead. And that is what Paul is saying is true of us who are believers. We were buried with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20 says, if you are in Christ, you have a new identity, an eternal one. See how much larger this is than any racial identity or supposed sexual identity? Your identity is with the almighty Lord Jesus. You are a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. But you know what? What does the world see, though? From the naked eye, as it were. Just from observing, the world looks at that. They can't see that, can they? Because these are spiritual things that we're talking about, right? Sure, they, you would hope that they see some change in your life. But when I was at my son's soccer game yesterday, and the people see me, they don't go, wow, his life must be hidden with Christ. That's amazing. No wonder his son scored a left boot goal from midfield <laughs> and strutted about it, literally. It was like this. He gets it from his mom. 
So they don't see any different, right? What do Christians see? What are non-Christians, when they look at us, we, we can get sick just like them, right? Um, we get old just like them. And from what they see, we die just like them, right? But that's what we can see here. Because the true reality of all of that is actually hidden. Hidden with Christ in God. All that changes when you get to verse 4. Look at verse 4. Paul says that when Christ returns at his second advent, all of this will change. Chapter 3, verse 4, he says, When Christ, notice, who is your life appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Because we're with Christ in his death, we are with him in resurrection and will be with him in glory at the end. As 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. See, our life and our destiny, our life and our destiny, where all of history, the most important thing in the world, is all of that is headed, is bound up, wrapped up in Christ, if you're a Christian. And now when you stop and think about that for a second, like just like stop and think about that for a second, when you think about your identity, when you think about your destiny, your future with Christ, can you see how that begins to change the way that you live here and now? That having a new identity gives us a new mentality. It gives us a new outlook, which leads us to our next point. Those who are in Christ have a new identity and those who are in Christ have a new outlook. And what does this outlook do? Well, it seeks what is above and it thinks on what is above. It seeks what is above. Let's look at that. Chapter 3, verse 1 again. He says, If then... You have been raised with Christ. And remember that he's not calling into question this, right? He says, this is a given. If this is the case, then, which it is, then you must seek the things above. Well, many of us have limited vision. Some of us are wearing glasses in here now. We can't see very far, can we? So he's not saying literal, like, okay, well, I look up and I can't see, I can see a couple of clouds. And... No, no, he's, he's obviously he's talking in spiritual terms here, right? Seek heaven, as it were. Okay. Seek heaven. All right, I got it, I got it. All right, so let's see, what was Rob saying earlier? That's right, I have a new identity. If I have a new identity, I have to seek heaven. Okay, okay, okay. So does that mean then that, oh, yeah, 
yeah, that sounds really good. I feel like I should probably spend most of my time just sort of reflecting on, pondering, guessing what heaven's going to be like. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Or, or maybe, maybe, maybe I should buy all those books about people that have died and, you know, taken a little holiday to heaven and now they write books and tell us about it. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe that's what I should do. No. Listen, to be preoccupied with heaven is to be preoccupied with the one who reigns there, the Lord Jesus. He is named four times. Did you notice that? Christ. Christ is named four times in this little passage. Clearly, he is the focal point. He is the true heavenly focus. We are to have our affections on him. Look at it again. Seek the things above where Christ is. Your heart must be set on Christ in knowing him and in delighting in him. He must be your all-consuming passion. Another way to read this, though, you could say, keep seeking. Keep seeking. It's a continuous action. Keep seeking Christ, who is at the right hand of God, who, who has all dominion, all unparalleled authority and prestige and power. Echo from Psalm 110 there. Keep seeking that Christ. Have your affections on Christ, who is at the right hand of God. Those in Christ have a new outlook. They, they seek what is above. And they not only seek heaven, they think heaven. Look at verse 2. He says in verse 2, Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. Not only should our desires be set on God, not only should our heart be set on God, but our minds ought to be as well. He wants us here, do you see that, to cultivate, it's, it's a mindset. And it's the same thing, continue seeking Continue thinking. It's he's, cult, he's, he's really he's, in, he's imploring us to cultivate a heavenly mindset. Have, have you ever heard people say, "You're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good"? It's actually a Johnny Cash song, by the way. That's where they got that. You know, the funny thing is, though, I have never met anyone ever who's so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. Never. I've met weird Christians. But those that have their center in Christ, not on... You know what the irony is, too, by the way? Do you remember what Paul was countering in just our previous section in Colossians about those blokes who were saying... Oh, you got to have these visions and tap into this experience and you can see the angels worshiping God. Do you remember all of that? 
And he says, and if you do these things, you can get up here to heaven. And what, is, what does Paul say? He flips it. And he says, you've already been raised to heaven, as it were. So therefore, because of that truth, right? Continue seeking the things that are above because you don't have to tap into that. Christ is, he's there. And if you're in Christ, spiritually speaking, though not there yet, there's an already and sort of a not yet thing going on here. But you will be one day when he appears. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, he talks about having heavenly mindset and he says this, He says, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next the apostles themselves, who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Like that. Notice the contrast. Dwell on. Have your minds oriented to, right? This lifestyle, this way, this thinking on Christ. Not, not the things of the earth. Which That is, you can't get more contrarian than that. Talk to a non-Christian out here and they would think, no, 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 no. Set your mind on things on earth, not on things on heaven. When I first moved to the coast, I was at a surf shop and I wanted my kids to be a part of the, is it called the nippers? Nippers. And I was talking to a guy at a surf shop, and he goes, oh, yeah, have them be. And I said, oh, that sounds great. Yeah, the nippers. He goes, oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's at 9.30 Sunday morning. And I was like, well, that stinks. That's like my church service starts at 9.30 a.m. And he goes, well, change it around then. And see, in his mind, in his mind, value the things of the earth. What, what are you doing? You're, you're, you're dragging your kids for some boring thing that they don't even want to be to when they could be a beautiful copa or a voca or whatever and enjoying the outdoors and learning about CPR and all the things that are important in this world. But as a Christian, I say, no, no, no. This is the Lord's day. I value my kids to hear the gospel and gather together as the Lord commands us to do, not forsake meeting together, but gather together. As the day approaches, by the way, his return. (laughs) Not forsake meeting together. So you see, though, but it's completely opposite, isn't it? What does the world say? 
the world, I, I promise you, if you set your affections and set your minds on things above and not on the things of the earth, it, you're going to look a bit weird to them. It's going to look odd. It's going to look just a bit ethereal. Do you know what I mean by that? You're sort of putting stock into things that they can't taste, touch, see, smell, as it were. But remember, all of that changes when Christ returns. Now he says, set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth. And notice in verse 5, how he goes from what's on earth here. He says, look at the language, it's shocking. Put to death. He's been talking about life, life in Christ, raised with Christ. And he says, oh, you want to know what you do here on earth? Put to death, destroy, kill, exterminate. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. You see that? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Wow. See what Paul's saying there is, set your minds on things above, put to death put to death the sinful things. Richard Baxter once said, kill sin before it kills you. You see that there? Kill sin before it kills you. Oh, it's all good. He just has his own way of doing Christianity. That's why he's, you know, X, Y, Z. If it's anything that what the scriptures describe, notice that it's, it's a very shocking statement. It says, the wrath of God is coming. Wow, that is, that is shocking. Oh, he, he's just, you know, he, he's just, he kind of has his own way of doing Christianity. Really? Is that what the Bible describes it? No. A Christian is someone who has a new identity. And because of that new identity, they have a new outlook. And their outlook is seeking what's above and destroying, putting to death the things of this earth. Now, before you misunderstand that and say, well, gosh, all I have to do then is just sort of contemplate and think about Jesus, and I guess I don't really have to work, and I guess I'm not really so sure. He's not really talking about what I need to, how I need to be a father or how I need to be a husband or whatever. He actually addresses all of those things coming up, all of those things. So it's not just this out here abstract ideas that we're sort of thinking on. It's tangible. It's, it's, it's right there. It changes the way that you live. The creed that we profess should be the conduct that we display. If you're in Christ, if you're a new creation, then this is how your life should be. I'm really looking forward to the weeks ahead is when we unpack more of this and look carefully exactly 
the sort of marks of a Christian, as it were. I'm, I'm extremely excited about that. Pray that the Lord would have you here as, 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 and you would come and we would be able to open these scriptures together and, and, and to think on them. So, uh, if you are in Christ, this is a time to reflect upon that as Dan and Ross come back up here to sing this last song. Uh, we're going to be passing out some time of, uh, these, it's the time of communion where you're re reflecting, remembering what Jesus has done on your behalf. If you're in Christ, it's because the Lord lived a perfect life, died in your place. And this isn't a time to think and reflect on those realities. If you're not a Christian, I'd ask that you allow those items just to pass by. But if you're in Christ, let's celebrate together as a church family these truths. So, sisters, to come by. Oh, when you when you get the items, hold on to them, and we'll take them together as a church.
could rescue me from my failing? Who else would offer his only son? Who else invites me to call him father? Only a holy God, only my holy And on the night that Jesus was portrayed, he took bread. And after breaking it, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take and eat together. And in the same way, he took the cup. And he said, this cup, is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take entry. Thanks for that message this morning, Rob. A great reminder to keep our eyes fixed above, wasn't it? Really encouraging. And I encourage you to encourage one another. Encouraging, encouraging. Um, and, and of course, we can't do that by chatting after today's service, which is sad, but you can do that by uh, catching up with people through either meeting somewhere else or even giving them a call. And I'd really encourage you to do that. Maybe ring someone from the 10.30 service as well. Uh, so yeah, just a reminder that as we finish, it's important that you leave so we can do our, our cleaning and there isn't crossover with the 10.30 service. I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.